Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hansen. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Hey, everyone. It's good to see you. Happy Thanksgiving. And any, any of you go shopping on Black Friday? Any brave folks here? You seem to have all your arms and legs. That's good. Uh, I'm proud of you. <laughs> I actually tried it. This is the first year I went out, went to uh, the, the uh, outlet mall. That was quite an experience to park in the Harley-Davidson parking lot and have to walk down and, yeah, probably won't do that next year. But anyways, uh, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to our online folks. Hope you are doing well, too. Um, <clears throat> uh, this weekend, we're kicking off our Advent series and Advent, the season of Advent is the uh, four weekends leading up to Christmas. And uh, the word Advent comes from the Latin word. That's right, Adventus. And it means this. It means the coming into place, view or being, the arrival of a notable person, thing, or there you go, or event. And uh, the purpose of this season really is, as a church family is to prepare our hearts for the arrival of Jesus. The season of Advent is also a reminder, it's a, it's a season to remind us that we've not yet reached our final destination. Advent has a real sense of waiting attached to it, and uh, there's a strong sense of waiting for the promises of God uh, to be, to be fi- fulfilled. And one of my favorite Christmas carols captures the heart of Advent, uh, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appears. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. And while the Israelites, they would have sung those words, you know, looking forward in expectation of the first coming of Jesus, what we celebrate uh, at Christmas, for us today, we sing them both as a reminder of the first coming, but also um, we sing them with expectation of the second coming. Uh, coming of Jesus in the future. And so we're, we begin the season of Advent and, and really full, <clears throat> full disclosure, as we near Advent and as a preaching team, we sit down, that's Heather, uh, Andrew and myself will sit down and we'll start discussing what our theme or our angle will be for this season of Advent. And again, full disclosure, I normally have very little energy for this time of year because I don't know about you, but I'm distracted and it's just, it's the same story. It's the familiar, very familiar uh, uh, story. But typically what happens is we get together, we start talking and kicking things around and, uh, and something always rises to the surface and suddenly uh, I'm energized for Advent. If you, the title for our Advent series is The Crossroads. There you, oh, yeah. The, oh, actually you're a little ahead of me there. Uh, but uh, The Crossroads of Christmas, you're good, Brett. Uh, and this year, we're, we'll be looking at four key parts of the Christmas story. There you go. Uh, where people are brought to uh, crossroads of decision. They're all invited. All these characters are invited to be significant parts of, uh, of the story, but it will call for their obedience. It'll call for action on their part. And, and again, for many of us, the Christmas story, we're so used to it that we forget that these key characters were just everyday people like you. Uh, and, and like me, and as they stood at these different crossroads of decision, uh, I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way, but they, maybe they, like they could have said no. What I mean is like Mary, Mary could have heard what Ga- you know, the angel Gabriel said and, and, and responded with, no, that's weird. Uh, you're going to have to find someone else. 
Uh, Joseph could could have ended his relationship with Mary and found uh, someone else. The Magi, the wise men, they could have stayed home instead of following this star. Like, you're crazy. We have no idea where that's going to lead us. No, 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 no. We're staying home. Uh, Finally, the shepherds could have ignored the angel's announcement to them and thought, hey, let someone else go check this out. I mean, and besides, who's going to believe us uh, anyways? Um, My hope this Advent season, as we go, we look at these four stories, is that uh, we will learn from them that many times in this life, following God's plan not only doesn't make sense, doesn't make sense, uh, but it can also put us in very uncomfortable, uh, very risky situations. But what we'll see in the stories, in these four stories that we're going to look at, uh, is a freedom that comes to those who trust in the bigness, uh, who trust in the all-knowingness of God and choose to say yes to his plan. So let's pray, and then we'll jump in uh, to our story. So Lord, thank you so much for uh, just this season of Thanksgiving and uh, I, you know, it's, it's just, I, I feel that sort of that, that Christmas season buzz. I see the, the revs start going up. It gets busier. And I pray, Jesus, that you would uh, just keep our hearts and our ears open to you. Um, I thank you for everyone who's here. I thank you for everyone who's joined us online. I just pray that you would come close. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right, uh, we're gonna be looking at these four stories and we've given each of the crossroads a name just to give us a focus. And they're all ours. Tis a pirate series, R. But uh, first, we're going to look at Mary as she comes to, here we go, to the crossroad of reputation. All right? Uh, if you're familiar with the story, the Christmas story about Mary, uh, you know that for her to say yes to God's plan, for her to, for her to you know, step into her part of the Christmas story, um, it really uh, was totally going to put her reputation on the line. So let's jump into the story. This is Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Uh, you can follow along your Bible or on the screens. Here's what it says. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So there's a story. Uh, according to different, uh, different commentaries, Mary could have been as young as 12 uh, or as old as 20. Uh, Joseph could have been as young as 20. And in one commentary, it said he could have been as old as 90. I'm like, what? But uh, the Bible doesn't tell us their ages. Uh, but 
Culturally, it really could have gone uh, either way, but Mary's engaged to Joseph, and you notice in the telling of the story that the writer goes out of his way to make it very clear that Mary is a virgin. He says it three times, and then uh, this angel Gabriel comes to her, and he speaks this, you know, a really interesting greeting to her. He says, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And it says in the story that Mary, you know, heard this, and it says that she was greatly troubled at his words. She's like, that's not a normal uh, good morning. I wonder what I wonder what he means. And uh, the angel Gabriel says in verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now we're gonna get to Mary's response in the next point. But you know, even as a young whatever age she was, but as a young Israelite girl who, who probably was, was not trained in the Torah or the law or in Jewish history, she would, she would have been more trained in her uh, household duties. But even for this young Israelite girl, it would have been really hard for her to miss all the super significant prophetic language that's in these words that Gabriel says, and like I said in my intro, the Israelite people, you know, they're waiting for their deliverer. They're waiting for their Messiah to come and to, and to rescue them. And, and there were so many Old Testament prophecies about this coming Messiah pointing to him. So when, when Gabriel says, you young virgin will have a son, it's like, er, prophesied. Uh, and you're to name him Jesus, which means the God who saves. It was prophesied. You can join on with me. Uh, he will be great and called the son of the most high. <laughs> that, we've got some cats in the room, I think. But that was prophesied. <laughs> your, your son is going to sit on the throne of David. Uh, that was also prophesied. And his kingdom will never end. That was very good. That was also prophesied. And Mary would have heard all this. And she would have been like, whoa. Whoa, like what? This is a lot of pretty, this is a lot of major stuff that you're hitting on here. But then her response, her answer to all this really says something about uh, the kind of person that Mary was. And we're going to talk about that a bit more. But it's interesting that she doesn't question at all all these, you know, prophecies that are mentioned or that will be fulfilled. The only thing she questions is, well, okay, uh, how's that, how's all that going to happen? Because uh, because I'm a virgin, meaning I'm not married yet. I mean, are you saying I should call my fiance on the, uh, get him on the line and, hey, we got to move the wedding date up? Is that what you're saying? And Gabriel's like, no, this is how it's going to happen. And he says, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And to that answer, Mary replies, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Now, our first point, uh, our first point, you know, where Mary's standing at this crossroad of decision, the first point is the cost, the cost for Mary. You know, basically the story is, hey, Mary, here's God's plan. Uh, this is your part. Mary, uh, are you in? Do you say yes or no? And this young, this young Israelite girl is standing at this crossroads Wondering, you know, do I obey, obey or, or do I disobey? If, like, but if I say yes, there's going to be a cost. And the primary cost for her is going to be her, her reputation. 
I mean, getting pregnant, she's not married yet. I mean, I mean, just imagine all that would have been said about this young woman, uh, that she was, you know, a, a, an adulteress, that she was unfaithful to, to her fiancé. And, if, and if, she, if that would have come down on her, just imagine what's going to come down on her son that she has, that there's going to be this cloud over him for, his, for a lot of his, for his entire life, that he's an illegitimate child and we don't know about her parents, we don't know about her siblings, we don't know what they thought of it. Um, but, uh, but we do know, because they're not mentioned, but, but her fiancé is mentioned, and Andrew's going to talk about him next week. But it's, it's really interesting to me that after her meeting with Gabriel, it says that Mary packed up, and it literally says that she hurried to leave town yeah, and, and go stay with her relative, Elizabeth. And if you're not familiar with the story, uh, tonight or tomorrow, go, go read the first chapter of Luke. But Elizabeth, who was mentioned by Gabriel... This lady was already miraculously pregnant. She was six months into her pregnancy, and it says that Mary stayed with her for about three months, and then she returned home. And just a little side note, um, you know, talking about crossroads and, and places of, you know, of do I obey, disobey, there's going to be a cost. Uh, just one thing to learn from this story is that God doesn't expect you to figure it out on your own. And what I mean is, you know, God is with, is with you but he's also put us in a family. He's also put us in a church family. And, it's, and it really jumped out at me that it's like God is saying, hey, Mary, I've called you to something that I know is like, like very challenging to you. And it's overwhelming to you. And so, so I want to help you. So let me first send you to someone, to Elizabeth, your relative, who's already been processing a lot of what you're going through right now. Right? Uh, who's, all, who's a little further down the road of faith. There's like, I'm going to send you to Elizabeth, and in her, you're going to find both encouragement and you're going to find counsel as you are standing at this crossroads that's, con that's confusing for you. And I, you know, just following that, I mean, I, I can't encourage uh, consistent, like, small group or weekend attendance enough. Like, I really can't encourage that enough. And I don't, and don't hear, like, scorecard, but... Here, that's God's plan. God's plan is that we're one body with many parts and that we're connected to each other and that we help each other at these crossroads and we, we give each other encouragement, counsel. There's people here that have been further down the road that you're just stepping onto. That's, that's the plan of God. So that's my little sidestep. Now let's come back. Mary's hanging out with Elizabeth. I'm sure they're talking about all kinds of things, but I'm sure one of the things she's asking Mary or Elizabeth is, hey, how do I tell Joseph? Like, imagine, imagine that conversation, right? Like, we don't know if she told him before she left town. It doesn't, well, we don't know. It doesn't look like she did. But, but if she didn't, now, three months later, she's coming back and she's got a little bit of a bump. Uh, she's a pregnant lady. And uh, now it's going to be pretty hard to hide. And I just try to imagine and, you know, I imagine her thinking of how she's going to tell Joseph she has him over for dinner, and he's sitting at the table. She's rubbing his shoulders. How was your day, Joseph? You know, did you work hard today? And I made your favorite tuna shawarma, uh, very popular. I don't think it is. But, and then just, she just throws it out. I'm pregnant, by the way. And, and the thing is, we're so used to the story, but understand that Joseph, and again, Andrew will get to him later, next week, based on his response, not only was her reputation on the line, but according to the Old Testament law, Mary's life was on the line. It says in Deuteronomy 22 that if a man discovers that his new bride 
is not a virgin, then he and her parents go to the town elders, and if her parents can't prove that she's a virgin, well, then it says this in verse 20. If, however, the charge is true and no proof of the young woman's virginity can be found, she shall be brought to the door of her father's house, and there the men of her town shall stone her to death. She has done an outrageous thing in Israel by being promiscuous while still in her father's house. You must purge the evil from among you. And I'm like, I can't imagine what this would have been like for this young gal, all that she was going through. This, you know, like, like the, the incredible cost there was for her obedience, for her to say yes to God's plan. And yet, and, you know, as we see in the story, but she, but she says yes, she says yes to what God's asked of her. And, you know, today in many countries, if you're going to follow Jesus, uh, uh, it will not only cost you your reputation, but, but it may cost you your life. Um, here's something we don't talk a lot about. According to Open Doors USA, it's a Christian organization that really works on bringing awareness to just martyrdom around the world. Uh, they say that almost 400 Christians are martyred each month somewhere on planet Earth just because they're followers of Jesus. That's 400 of our brothers, almost 400 of our brothers and sisters, their lives are taken because they believe in Jesus and they're followers of Jesus. It's like, it's basically our church wiped out every two months. That's, you know, and, I, and when I look at that, I, it got me thinking about, okay, so here we are, like, what does it cost us? You know, here, here in the U.S., here in the West, what does it cost us to be Christians? What does it cost you to follow Jesus? You know, what does it cost you to try each day, to, you know, to, to obey him, to follow his plans? And let me get a little bit cynical, uh, just because it feels good sometimes. But, like, is the cost now, this is something I've thought, this is from, out of my own uh, heart, is the cost now we can't do a lot of the stuff that we'd like to do? You know, now we feel guilty when we drink too much or when we drink, period. Now we feel guilty when we step outside for a smoke. Now, I'm not, I'm not this isn't like a testimony. I'm just, these are just some suggestions, okay? My parents are watching. Now we feel guilty when we go too far sexually with our boyfriend or our girlfriend or because of what we, we look at on the internet. Now we feel guilty. That's our cost when we lie or when we steal or when we cheat or you know, on our taxes or whatever. Right? And I know that might sound cynical, but is that what it costs you to follow, to follow Jesus? And, you know, if that's how you'd answer that, uh, that question, let me affectionately say, I don't think you've met Jesus. I think what you've, what you've met are the rules or some of the rules. And that's not what it means to be, to be, uh, to be a Christian. See, the invitation of Jesus, what it means to be a Christian is, is him saying, hey, come to me. Come to me, and I want to set you free from your guilt, and I want to set you free from the, just the futility of trying to find life in anything but me, Jesus would say. Or, or maybe you would answer the question of cost more like Mary's experience. Uh, maybe for you, saying to, yes to Jesus, maybe it has cost you. Maybe it has cost you your reputation. The word reputation means uh, the, estimation, the estimation in which a person or thing is held especially by the community or the public. I mean, reputation is what other people think of you. And maybe your yes to God, maybe it's cost you friends uh, because the Lord told you to stop doing certain things. And now maybe some of your friends are like, they really don't want anything to do with you. 
Or maybe if you're at school, maybe your, your yes to God uh, has cost you friends because the Lord's told you to start investing in some of the kids who are on the fringe, and they're not the cool kids. And so maybe some of your friends have abandoned you. Maybe your faith, your yes, has cost you a boyfriend or a girlfriend because the Lord has told you to stay pure for your future wife, your future husband. Maybe your faith, your yes to God has cost you maybe a job or a promotion because the Lord has told you to be honest at work, to be honest with the numbers at work. Uh, Maybe uh, your faith has cost you your reputation because the Lord's plans The Lord's plans for you didn't fit into the plans your family had for you. And so now in their eyes, you look like a failure. You know, I was thinking about, there's a friend I have who's a super smart, super gifted guy in his early 20s. He was climbing the corporate ladder. He was very, uh, becoming more and more successful in the eyes of the world. And then he had an encounter with God. And I don't mean an angel showed up, but, but God made it real clear to him that, hey, my plan for you is not uh, um, corporate success, but, but I want you to come, I want you to be a pastor. I want, to, I want you to pursue ministry. And when he announced this to his parents, when he announced what he was gonna do, they literally said to him, if you choose that path, these are his parents, uh, they said, we will disown you. Uh, but he did it anyway. And, and they also did that. And, and the parents died a few years ago and they n- didn't go to his wedding and they never met his kids. They never met their grandkids. And I thought, wow, his yes came at a great cost. Now, I recognize that's an extreme story, but if it hasn't already, let me, I promise you, at some point in your life, if you choose to value your reputation with God over or more than your reputation with, with people, with other people, you're gonna come to crossroads. You're gonna come to times where you need to make a decision of who, who you, whose reputation you are, whose reputation or who, what they think of you will be more important to you. Does that make sense? I, I, that does not make sense to me. Galatians 1.10 says this, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. You know, most times, many times, pleasing people and pleasing Jesus go in opposite directions. It's gonna bring you to a crossroads. And it's at that place where we need to choose and and understanding that sometimes our choice will have a cost attached to it. So number one is the cost. Number two is the response, the response. Uh, So Mary's response to Gabriel's message uh, is is so amazing to me. If I was Mary, (laughs) if I was Mary, I would have listened to Gabriel and said, okay, you know, not sure I, I, uh, not sure I get all that, but hey, is there a way for us to do this where my reputation isn't going to be dragged through the mud? Like, like, you know, I'm not sure I totally understand me getting pregnant by the Holy Spirit overshadowing me, but I guess it sort of makes me think of Genesis where the The Holy Spirit hovered over the waters, overshadowed the waters at a time of of creation. But but what about, could we maybe hold off on the whole pregnancy thing till Joseph and I get married? I promise we'll abstain. Uh, uh, But is there any other way so that I can save, you know, some of my reputation? But she she doesn't say that, does she? I mean, basically, you know, Gabriel just goes, here's the plan, Mary, it's going to cost you. And it seems like in the story, it seems like there's like no hesitation from Mary. 
And she just, again, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And you know, over these last couple of weeks, I've been studying Mary a lot. And I, I would say I totally get how our brothers and sisters in the Catholic Church uh, would choose to put her in such high esteem. I get that. I don't, I, don't, I don't get praying to her and some of the other things, but I totally get uh, putting Mary on a, on a pedestal because she is an amazing woman. She is a very special lady, but, and, and not just because she was chosen to be the mother of Jesus, uh, but because of her example of how to respond to God when we come to a very confusing crossroad, when, when his plan doesn't make sense when his plan puts us in an uncomfortable position, when his plan uh, is going to cost us. Uh, there, uh, uh, there's a story in, in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus, now he's grown up, and he's teaching to, a, a, just like this, I guess, a bunch of people. And uh, as he's talking, all of a sudden, somewhere in the back, this woman yells out. This is Luke 11, verse 27, says this. Uh, as Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Now, you know, I don't think Jesus was dissing his mom, Mary, at all when he said that. In fact, I think what he was saying was, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, my mom, Mary, my mom is a blessed woman, but not because of the task she was given but rather because of her obedience to the task that she was given. She heard and she obeyed, even at at great cost. And you know, when I look at that, I go, wow, where does that kind of response come from? I mean, she must have been a special lady because I was gonna say, I don't know about you, but I do know about you. That is not our default response, is it? Especially when God invites us into something that's gonna cost us our money, our time, our comfort, our plans, uh, our reputation. You know, Mary's response reveals both her character and it reveals how she sees God. Notice that like her, her response is not a begrudging response. She doesn't go, well, nah, nah, okay. You know what I mean? Like there's none of that. In fact, I would say that Mary's response to, to God's plan, to what Gabriel said to her, uh, her response is a worshipful response. It really is worship. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. It's just, I'm yours. I'm yours. Uh, uh, Really, totally capturing what Paul would later say in Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. It's it's giving ourselves to him, totally capturing what the founder of the vineyard, John Wimber, uh, was known for saying. Remember this quote of John Wimber's? I'm just change in God's pocket. He can spend me however he wants. That's, That's worship. That's worship to God. And, you know, we know nothing about Mary's life before she met uh, uh, Gabriel, but I believe... What we are seeing in this young woman's response is the fruit of the work of God in her life, preparing her for for this time, for such a significant crossroad. This event would have been prefaced by lots of little 
crossroads, where, uh, you know, really creating in Mary's life the opportunity to discover the, the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, lots of little opportunities for her to learn how to say yes to him. And in that process, creating opportunities for her to have a Copernican revelation. Have you ever heard of that? A Copernican revelation? Uh, look at this picture. Who knows who this is? You know who that is? That is not Andrew's grad picture. <clears throat> He's not here, so let's rip on Andrew. No, <clears throat> that is a man you'll know. That's Nicholas Copernicus, and uh, he lived in Poland during the late 1400s into the mid-1500s. And besides a fashionista, um, Nicholas was also a mathematician and an astronomer. And this man is remembered for his explanation of the universe, which was very different from his time, in which, which placed the sun rather than the earth at the center of our universe. Meaning, what Nicholas said was, you know what, the sun doesn't circle, the sun doesn't orbit the earth. It's the other way around. The earth, the earth orbits, circles the sun. And so for us as followers of Jesus, a Copernican revelation is when you start becoming more aware that God is not here for you, but rather you and I are here for him. That's a Copernican revelation where, and, and, and don't hear in that like some sort of like divine beat down where God's this angry, insecure, you know, who's putting you in your place. Like, who do you think you are? Little man, little woman, like, you know, get on your knees. Do you know who I am? I mean, that's, that's not what I'm saying at all. What I mean is more like a, a loving, all-knowing God is saying, little man, little woman, you've forgotten who you are. You've forgotten whose you are. You're, you're mine. I made you. You're my responsibility. You were never meant to live this life alone. You were never meant to live your life outside of me or or apart from me. It's, it's, where, it's really where the, the more we get in touch with our smallness, the more it sets us free to be his sons and his daughters. Why don't we have the worship team come on back? Um, I'm going to end off with this. You know, the story of the Bible is that we're all, we're all invited into God's story, like his, his global rescue story. We all have a very significant part to play in this story. But, but what I love about it is, but, but we do it together as a church family, and we do it together with God. And, and even though, again, we don't know anything about Mary before this story, you know, I would bet the farm, if I had a farm, that it was through those little crossroads, those, those little moments of saying yes to God, regardless of the cost, that this young woman learned two foundational truths of the Christian faith. And really, these two foundational truths that freed her up to respond to such a crazy plan with such a big, cheerful, worshipful yes. And the answer is found in Gabriel's greeting. When he says this of Mary, greetings, this is verse 28, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. And what I mean by that is the foundation of the Christian life, it's not our circumstances. It's not found in us understanding our circumstances. The foundation of the Christian life is knowing that whatever you are going through, God looks at you as highly favored, meaning he loves you, meaning you are the object of his affection. He loves you, and he's always with you. I believe that's what we see. That's what freed Mary up 
to go, that's crazy, but because you're saying it, I'll do it, God. I'll do it. You know, uh, as we end off, uh, what, I don't know what crossroad, I look around this room, or I don't know online, I don't know what crossroad you may be at in your life. This story teaches us that there is incredible value, incredible opportunity at all the crossroads we face, whether they're big ones or small ones. You may be at a crossroad, maybe you're at a crossroad of temptation, where, uh, you know, trying to find life in someone or something that will only leave you feeling used or, uh, and still thirsty. Or maybe you're at a crossroad where God has invited you into his way, into his plan, and you're aware uh, that it's going to cost you. It's gonna cost you money, time, position, reputation, whatever it is. You know, as we go back into worship, why don't we stand up? As we go back into worship, I just encourage you to invite God into that situation, into that, into that crossroad. And, and as always, as we worship, uh, we believe in the active presence of God. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.